0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, Ma, and our topic today is a glimpse of the future of health and medicine as we go deep, deep, deep into our doctor's bag with our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Wolman. <gasps> Hello, doc. Ooh, there's the bag. <laughs> there's my favorite doctor's bag.
1: We're going in, Christina. Whee! <laughs> yeah, 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 I know you like that. <laughs> Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your host along with Christina today as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, this time inside the doctor's bag in search of optimal health. That's so
0: fantastic. You're... I'm so excited. Really, you like
1: <clears throat> these. We've got a whole bunch of things today. I'm talking about just... A lot of things about future of health and medicine.
0: Oh, fantastic. Now, now I just want to let everyone know that you can fe- feel free to ask a question or make a comment at any time, just simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Now, even if you're listening or watching this show a year or two later, don't worry, just plug it in there and we'll make sure to get back to you or get your message to Dr. Woolman. And uh, if you are not in front of a computer, just call us at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818, let's talk. Okay, Dr. Woolman.
1: Let's get it on here. huh? Take
0: us on this tour.
1: Okay, uh, let me ask you a question. How would you like to know when you're going to die?
0: Um, how would I like to know?
1: No, how would you like to know when? If I could tell you you're going to die in two years or eight months or five years, would you like to know that? Nah. No.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. I'm
0: sure a lot of people would. Yep. And then they can plan things.
1: Yeah. And that brings up the first topic. And this is kind of closing uh, a loop or a little bit of a loop. Uh, in episode 120 in Dying with Dignity, where we talked with Cicely Hinson and Dr. Deborah Weinstein, we talked about the uh, Santa Barbara, uh, the state bill, the Senate Health Committee. Uh, on the end-of-life option, yes. remember?
0: Yeah, yes. For
1: people that do know that they're going to die and they know they're going to be suffering now have the ability to have uh, end-of-life uh, care and options for them. So we talked about that, and we mentioned to everybody that uh, it was going to uh, the health committee in the Senate in March, March 25th, and it actually did. And I want to report today, just as a follow-up, that uh, it passed. Fabulous. Passed, yeah, so that's, that's one part, Senate Health Committee. So now uh, it has to go to the Judiciary Committee, and that comes up April 7th. So that's pretty soon. So those of you that are very interested and civic-minded and also concerned about people dying and want the most compassion and dignity, uh, get to your senators and congresspeople and let them know how you feel about it. Mm, After it goes to uh, the Judiciary Committee, if it passes that, it goes to the Appropriations Committee and then on to the Senate floor and then beyond that. So it's, it's fun to watch uh, this in terms of how our system works. And it also has to do, it f- fits in nicely with uh, our program today because it is certainly the future of medicine when people will have an opportunity, hopefully, to um, end their lives with dignity and not suffering if they know certain things and pass certain uh, rules and requirements. Mm. So, any quick thoughts on
0: that? Wow, that's exciting!
1: It is, and now, I. Thought, how do
0: you follow it, Glenn? Do you follow it online or or just through the news?
1: I I go to the I go online because exactly. usually they don't put things like that on too much of the news, so I have to find that online. When when and if it passes everything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it becomes part of the law. I think it'll be on the news, but right now it's just in a committee. So lots of people aren't that concerned about it, although we are and everybody watching and listening to Magical Medical Tour is certainly concerned about it.
0: So, so I, I thought that there was, um, so, so right now it's in the system, right? And does it come back out for the public to vote on?
1: It depends on the way. If it goes through the judiciary, the way I understand it, and it goes through appropriations committees, mm. uh, then it goes to the Senate floor. They discuss it and vote on it. Now they may they may be able, depending on how the law is written, and I don't know this part. They right. may be able to just make it into law, uh, and then if the governor signs it, then it it's good. I but, see. But if not, then it may have to go to a public vote. So when we have another election, that will be part of it.
0: I see. Okay. I'm I'm learning.
1: <laughs> We're all learning. All right.
0: <laughs> One step at a time. I just need to know when to vote. That's all. <laughs>
1: keep yeah, posted. Well, right now. Right now. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I'll, I will definitely let all of us know when and if to vote. But mm. uh, it may be something we don't have to vote on if the Senate Handles it the appropriate way. Mm
0: -hmm. So that's
1: part of the future of medicine and health, don't you think?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a a big part because you know uh, the um, for for patients as well as for the physicians. You know um, the the when uh, Debbie was saying about you know being a doctor, how difficult it was for her that she'd find to be able to write that prescription. Right. For an individual. So, yes, it's a big change.
1: Yeah. So let's move to another part of the future in medicine. I was reading uh, an article online from the AMA, the American Medical Association, and they put out uh, uh, a report by, uh, it was Dr. Surendra Varma, He's an associate executive dean at a, a graduate medical school at Texas Tech University, and he's one of the people that helps the medical students decide what residency they want to go into and what career they want to have. And so he was talking about things that uh, medical students should not overlook when choosing a specialty. And I thought, well, you know, in our show, we always ask our uh, The people were interviewing about what are the steps it takes to become what you are, you know, graduate school and things like that. So I thought this would be good for the medical students that are listening to this show. But then as I was uh, reading it and looking at it, it seemed it could be relatively appropriate for anybody that's thinking about a job. So these are five things that people should look at. It's designed for people in medical school choosing a specialty, but I think you can uh, extrapolate and uh, help this in your own decisions. So the first, the first of the five is assess your skills. And this means don't just look at the amount of money you might make, the lifestyle, uh, things like that. For example, if you're really good with your hands and you don't like to talk to people, psychiatry would not be a good idea for you. <laughs> right? But, but if you are If you are good at talking to people and listening, and you're not good with your hands, it might be good to be in family practice or psychiatry. If you are good with with your hands and working in small places, you might think about being a surgeon. So assess your skills and uh, evaluate, take an inventory of your strengths and your weaknesses in deciding what specialty you want, or in other cases, deciding what you want to do in life. Uh, The second one is gain clinical experience in your preferred specialty. And this is something very important. So if you're thinking of becoming uh, an eye doctor, it's a good idea while you're in medical school to find one of the eye doctors at the hospital or, or in the community and spend some time with the eye doctor. See what it's like in their office, see what types of patients they have, talk to them about their lifestyle and what's going on. And this will give you more insights into what you're going to be considering. And that should help you in choosing a specialty. And look at a number of them. Uh, Number three, research the culture and the availability of your specialty. So this is very important. Sometimes there are trends in medicine where everybody wants to be an orthopedic surgeon and you decide you want to be an orthopedic surgeon, but the town you live in now has 25 orthopedic surgeons and there's only (laughs) 200 people in the town. (laughs) It's, you know, it's a good idea to move. evaluate it. <laughs> yeah, or to move. And, and, you know, we can even get into, although I don't like to think that this is still happening, sometimes gender uh, might have uh, mm, a factor yes. in this and many things. You know, it will be very nice when that's not a part of life anymore, but it, it is important. So when you're evaluating, look at the culture and what's going on in, in the whole process. Number four, this is a really interesting one. Choose a backup specialty. Now, this was important, and I can relate to this, because when I was about 10 years old and decided I was going to medical school, uh, because I had a good friend who was a surgeon, I pretty much naturally wanted to be a surgeon, plus I loved all the things that they did and all the things it stood for. So as I got into medical school, I was thinking about being a surgeon, but I had gotten Uh, injured uh, during a sporting accident and didn't feel like I could finish my residency and live a life as a surgeon. Mm. So I had to make other decisions and uh, that's where I ended up in emergency medicine. But it's always a good idea to think of some other possibilities and backup specialties, just just to have it in the back of your mind and in case something does happen. You know, you may be very skillful with your hands And then you could injure a hand during your uh, training in medical school and not be able to use it. So you have a backup specialty. I think Mm -hmm. that's very important. And finally, when you're applying for the residency program, you have to put an application together. And it's very important. Many people try to say all the right words, and the people on the admissions committee Uh, for the specialties and residency programs, see a lot of applications. You don't want it to sound like the usual application. You want it to be something that's specifically you. And if you get somebody to write a letter of recommendation for you, you want them to make sure that they're writing a letter that's really uniquely you. And in your part of it, I think it's important to be authentic and to come from your heart. So those are five quick uh, little tidbits and tips for people in the future of medicine or in the future of your own specialty?
0: You know, that that's uh, these five questions uh, as I listen to them and, and um, think about them. They're brilliant for anyone going into any field.
1: That's where I came to that. I started looking at his medicine and as I was looking at it, I kept saying this could be anybody
0: yes absolutely i'm going oh whether you be thinking of tech technology engineering anything it's it's there or uh, an attorney boy I, I know people who says yeah i want to be an attorney because they've heard from mom and dad all their life suddenly they spend two months three months in an attorney's office to go no i can't do that
1: <laughs> yeah that's very important
0: you know before even entering into that whole system Wow. Yeah, I,
1: think I thought these should, were very
0: good. I think kids should take a year off from high school to college <laughs> and try all the different fields that they think that they might like. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: maybe. I don't know. I <laughs> I mean, certainly, you know, the, everybody's different. Uh, me, I just wanted to stay in school and keep working because I knew it was going to be a, a long haul. So taking a year off would have would have taken a lot more time. And also... I see with a lot of people, you know, you get you take a year off, maybe you get a job, you start making some money and you go, hey, this is fun life at 19 or something. And suddenly you don't want to go back to college. Now, you know, we have the discussion. Not everyone should be in college. There are skills and there are technical schools that should be promoted. But uh, I think people should go through this list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm, That's a good idea.
0: Oh, okay. I'm, I think I'll go through the list. <laughs> I'm ready for a career change.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Your backup is being co-host on Magical Medical Show. You've already got it covered. It's a great environment, and I'll write you a great recommendation.
0: Oh, thank you, dog. <laughs> yeah,
1: and we know you've got skills.
0: No, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> Bouncing.
1: <laughs> One of many.
0: Oh, dear. One of many. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful
1: Moving to another topic. Yes. The future of medicine. This one is really exciting for me. I went to a lecture uh, by a gentleman named Michio Kaku. He's, a, he's an American futurist. He's also a theoretical physicist. He was part of the uh, designer of the string theory in, in uh, physics. So at his lecture, he was talking about the future, and he brought up medicine in many ways, and it, it inspired me to start looking at different things in medicine. We always know that medicine is uh, it's, a, it's a frontier. Things are always happening in medicine, and we're seeing things every day uh, that are changes and great things happening. But I thought that it would be interesting to talk about some of the possibilities of things in the future. And one of them is that the home itself will become like a clinic and a laboratory. You'll be able to connect with your doctors on your large screen TV or on your iPhone or your iPad. And there'll be things in the home that you can start doing to test yourself. You know, for example, that a woman that's trying to get pregnant can... uh, Put some urine onto a little strip of paper, and that paper will turn a certain color, and they'll know they're pregnant or not pregnant, right? Yes. Well, there'll be a whole uh, group of things that will be able to be decided in the home. You could put something. You'll be able to put something in your toilet, for example, that will show if you're bleeding through mm-hmm. uh, in your stools or in your urine. Uh, there might be in the future, something that you can put into your toilet that will show cancer cells. Uh, Many other things are going to be described in the home that you'll be able to diagnose and you'll be able to look at at home with your doctor, blood pressure monitors, certainly at home, things like that. So many possibilities going on there. So it's gonna be very exciting that the home itself, and it's going to allow people to actually become part of their own healthcare which we uh, always promote here on MMT. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Another area that's very interesting and exciting for me is brain scans and functional MRIs. <clears throat> Certainly we're learning, you know, we see much better what's going on in the brain and other parts of the body through MRIs and, and imaging, but they've done some studies on people with mental health disorders. And through a functional MRI, you can see what part of the brain is lighting up when somebody is excited, when someone's anxious, when someone's in fear, when someone's hungry, things like that. So we know different parts of the brain get lit up on the functional MRI with a certain color. And it tells you that that part of the brain is being activated, right? Right. So Pick somebody with uh, a disorder like uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder.
0: Mm.
1: And the standard for that is, I mean, the the one that we all think about is the person that washes their hands 20 times a day, right? Mm -hmm. So what we have seen is that when somebody has, they recognize their hands are dirty, a part of the brain lights up. And then a part of the brain right, lights up to say, go wash your hands. And then when they wash their hands, a part of the brain lights up that says they're washing their hands. And then at the end, there's a part of their brain that says, your hands are clean. And you're finished. That's, that's how people without an obsessive-compulsive disorder uh, go out their day. But what they've seen now is that the person with an obsessive-compulsive disorder, and this isn't everyone, this is in many cases, but not all cases, When they see the part lights up where it says my hands are dirty, the part lights up, I should wash them, the part lights up, I'm washing my hands. But the part that says my hands are clean doesn't light up. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. So that's why they go, My hands aren't clean yet. I got to wash them again. My hands aren't clean yet. I have to wash them again. My hands aren't clean yet. I have to wash them again. So this is important, Mm. not just to know that, but in the way we're treating people. Usually with an obsessive compulsive disorder, we try to give them a medication that's just going to calm them down, or to release an anxiety, or to stop these compulsive uh, behaviors. But now that we're finding out that it might be a part of the brain that is missing or not connecting, maybe we're going to look for different ways to treat people. And I think that's a great thing, especially in the field of mental health. Mm-hmm. We know did you want to say something?
0: I just find that really interesting that they're able to track it to that, that level. level now.
1: Yeah. And it's and it's going to get even better. That you know we're going we're still learning great things. You know, I always talk about the the cells learning more about the cells, learning more about the genome, which we're going to speak about a little bit later uh, in genetics and also the brain and the central nervous system, I've said, are, you know, that's going to be our future of medicine. Mm -hmm. We also know that in surgery, there's robots like the da Vinci arm that surgeons are using robots now to uh, work and do more critical types of surgeries and also long distance surgery, say out on an oil rig or in a, in a place in, Uh, Alaska that may be very far away. If they could set up a robot there that they could do a surgeon from somewhere in Texas or in Oklahoma or California could be operating on a person somewhere else. So this is another great part of that. And as we talk about stem cells, uh, we're starting to develop tissue uh, creation. And now we have what they've seen that's coming out, and I know Segovia is excited about this, the 3D printer, where you can actually Mm -hmm. print things that are, you could print a hammer and use a hammer with certain material, right? In Mm -hmm. a special 3D printer. Well, so imagine coming into the emergency department uh, and having a heart attack and having a bad heart, and in the emergency department, in 50 or 100 or 75 years, they'll take some stem cells from you, maybe from your skin or your cheek, They'll send it to the uh, tissue creation laboratory, and they'll start creating a new heart for you. So by the time you get admitted up to your room in the intensive care, they'll have a new heart for you or a new bone or a, or something else new. If there's a burn that you have, they'll be able to start developing new skin for you. So you'll get into the hospital, and that whole thing will be printed out and applied and you're you're better. And that's, that's a fantastic thing Mm -hmm. that I see in the future. Wow. Don't
0: you love that? That's amazing. (laughs) It's just, it's just amazing because it's, it's almost science fiction, right?
1: Yeah. So now let's even go deeper into the doctor's bag. So we talked about the 3d printer. Now they have a 4d printer and the 4d printer is something that will use certain types of software where they can actually program physical and biological materials no way. To, to change shapes and change properties within itself. So you can almost imagine you can print, and, and now we're looking not just on a big scale of, say, a bone in the leg, but we're also looking on a submicroscopic nanotechnology scale where you can make a design a piece of material that looks like a piece of paper maybe you know less than a, a millimeter in squared right mm-hmm. and this will be made of some type of a bioadaptable or compatible material and when it gets into the body it will be programmed so that it can start folding on itself almost like origami and go into and become a different uh, piece not a different piece of material but take on a different shape So if you imagine that, when we looked at cardiac stents, you've heard of the word stents in the past? Okay, so a stent is like a little straw, a very small straw that goes inside the artery, right? And it keeps the artery open. Well, when we did this in the heart, what we did originally was we would open up somebody's chest, we would open up their heart and and stick this stent in there. Mm -hmm. And then we got a little more scientific and better at it. So then we were able to insert it through a catheter that was uh, inserted through either the groin in the inguinal region or in an arm or in the neck, move a catheter down to the heart, put it in the area of the coronary artery that needed a stent, and put that stent in there. That was great, right? Mm. That made it a lot better. It almost became an outpatient procedure then. Mm -hmm. So now what's going to happen is imagine that they have something that's microscopic that looks just like a little piece of string. And they can almost inject it into the bloodstream and have this little piece of of programmed biocompatible material, this piece of string. It will work its way to the to the coronary artery. And when it gets to the artery where it needs to be, it will program itself, change its shape, and open up from a string into a little straw or a stent and be right there.
0: Oh, that's crazy.
1: That's crazy, but That's it's great.
0: amazing, really amazing.
1: Are you loving this? Yes.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. Like, huh.
1: I know. So then it even gets even better. They're doing uh, studies now all over the world in many places, and we could talk about the studies, but they have uh, a program now. Imagine that you could take DNA and start using that DNA where it folds and unfolds, and you can start programming it to fold into certain structures. Mm. So, for example, in one uh, research area, they're taking something that will look, imagine it looks like a little clamshell, all right, but on a microscopic level. And this clamshell is filled with uh, biocompatible material inside of it. And it will be used to treat cancer cells so that you can put this clamshell clamshell DNA into the body. It will go to a site of a cancer. The clamshell will open up and will offer to the cancer cell um, anti-cancer medications to kill the cancer. Mm. So this means that all the people that you know right now that are... uh, on chemotherapy and going through the hair losses and they going to the doctors and having the blood or the the blood test to see how your blood is and getting the chemo and having the reactions to it, many of these things will disappear in, in potentially our lifetime. They're already doing things, like we saw something on uh, the news the other day on 60 Minutes where they're talking about polio viruses treating brain cancers. Mm. Um they've used viruses for many, many, many years. It's just that they're getting much more sophisticated in how they genetically modify the virus so that a person, when you're injected, for example, with a polio virus, you're not going to get polio, but the parts of the polio virus will be able to react to the cancer cells, and parts of the immune system of the body will be able to react react to the polio uh, virus and will kill the cancers in that way. So mm-hmm. All of these things are happening right now to change medicine, and uh, I thought it would be just exciting to talk about what that future is in a couple of glimpses.
0: <laughs> what's What's funny is, you as as you were mentioning all these uh, this nanotechnology and how the simplicity that it's basically coming to you know I, of course it's years and years of research that that is uh, taking us to this stage. Then I start to think of all these superheroes. <laughs> right.
1: That's true. Here you comes know.
0: the incredible Hulk, Captain America.
1: <laughs> right. Or you're gonna be injected with spider venom, and next thing you know, you're going to be <laughs> Spider-Man five hundred and six. <laughs> oh, that's great. It
0: really oh is my. good.
1: The one part of it that that concerns me, the yin and the yang of everything, of course. Yes. The one thing that concerns me is we always talk about how people put their health on a back burner most of the time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or many people do. People are changing now, but my concern is that the more things that we can take care of, Ooh. the less people will be concerned. Ooh. Oh, I don't care if I That's you know right. break my arm; I'll just get a new arm. Yeah, you know, starfish doesn't worry about losing one of its uh, pods, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Cuz it's going to grow another one and if we know that everything is going to be taken care of we may become a little more lax. So that's a concern to me but yes. but the excitement of knowing all of these things is just great for me and there's more to come.
0: Oh yeah, well I I I think it's it's that frontier goes on and on. I, I you know
1: <laughs> it does never end.
0: Never ends. So even beyond this, uh, you, we can imagine, you know, it's, it's as I say, it's like science fiction. Yes. Right? Uh, yep. It's like how the writers wrote it so many years be- ago. It's happening today.
1: Yeah, I love it. That's one of the exciting things about going into the field of medicine for me is that it's always a frontier. We're always learning new things and seeing the exciting things that people are discovering and the technologies coming together with the science and the thinking. I love all of it, as you can imagine.
0: (laughs) Yes, we know. (laughs)
1: Yay. Okay, so we're we're moving to the next part. We're moving quick because I have a lot of things to cover today. But that's another part (laughs) of the future of health and medicine. So now we're going to go, this is going to be a little more scientific. You know, I always try to bring aside from just political events and social events and Lots of little things. I try to bring a little bit of science into each one of the inside the doctor's bag. And I, so this is important f- for me to have you as the every person uh, make sure that you understand the next part that I'm going to talk about. So put on your thinking cap. Hmm. Ready? I
0: think? I really have to. No! <laughs> Come
1: on, a little thinking, a little thinking. Okay. It'll be good for you. <laughs> You know how I always talk about the cells, right? How yes. important they are. Well, there's different parts of the body. And everything in the cell is called intracellular. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. A cell has a membrane around it. And this membrane is semi-permeable. That means things can, some, some things, depending on the size and the charge, electrical charge, can flow into and out of the cell. So that there's a balance between uh, electrolytes and fluids and things like that within the cell and without of the cell, right? You're with me, right?
0: I am right with you.
1: Okay. So everything in in the cell, like the cytoplasm, the nucleus, the DNA, the mitochondria, all those words that we've discussed in the past and you've heard, those are all intracellular. But then there's a whole other compartment of the body called the extracellular compartment, which is everything else. Hmm. Now, within the extracellular compartment, it's broken down into two parts. One is the intravascular. So that means it's everything in the blood vessels. And the blood vessels, as you know, uh, through capillaries and through uh, uh, ways of uh, moving fluid in and out between the cells back and forth into the blood vessels carrying oxygen and nutrients, they connect. But there's another part of the extracellular process, the extracellular matrix, which is connective tissue. And Mm. connective tissue is something that I think we need to be focusing on. Now, I'll tell you that certainly massage therapists and certain types of massage therapists, chiropractors, osteopathic uh, doctors, uh, Pilates instructors... A number of people are aware of connective tissue and in many areas, but we don't focus on it as much as we should. And that's what I want to talk about today. This uh, connective tissue is very diversified, and it's everywhere in the body. It has... Oh different types of tissues it had adipose tissue for example which is like fat tissue it has elastic tissue that you might see in tendons and ligaments and around arteries so that when an artery expands when the blood is going through then it can contract again due to its elasticity it has mucus type tissue lymphoid tissue like lymph nodes and it has cartilage and bone all of these things basically The extracellular matrix, this connective tissue, is made up of three things. One, it has cells in it. And these cells uh, are the ones that help to determine whether it produces mucus or lymph tissue or cartilage or bone. Or it's it's something that produces fat. It also has fibers in it. And these fibers are, uh, you've heard the word collagen, Mm -hmm. and you've heard elastic fibers. Collagen is one of the big ones, and we're going to talk about that a little more uh, as we move on in this part of the talk. But it also has something called a ground substance. And the ground substance is kind of this amorphic structure that uh, it's, it's like the glue that holds it all together. And so these three things make up the connective tissue, and connective tissue is everywhere in the body just everywhere, and what it does is it does many things, depending on what type. I talked about the different types and what the structure it is. So it provides support and mobility for different organs and bones and Things things. It, it provides elasticity. It provides pathways for the blood vessels and the nerves. It also packs some of the unused spaces in the body It also works for transport, where it helps. Remember I talked about the intravascular part, Mm -hmm. that, that the blood nutrients, it helps the food and oxygen get into the cells, and it helps take the waste, the carbon dioxide and other waste products between the capillaries and the tissue cells. It also works in defense. It's something that will impede the growth of bacteria in an area. Uh, depending on the types of cells it has. It also can work uh, partly as the immune system by destroying microbes. And it works in repair. It helps to repair parts of the body. Uh, And it also gives form to the body. So the connective tissue is very important, and it's something we overlook. We always talk about organs. Liver's important. Heart's important. Uh, We talk about bones. Those are important. But I think that we need to start taking more recognition of our connective tissue, and this is important uh, because there are diseases that certainly occur within the connective tissue. There are neoplasms like sarcomas, different types of cancers. Also, there are connective tissue disorders. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Marfan syndrome or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. These are syndromes that the connective tissue does not work well or it's hyperelastic and people develop problems with their heart and blood vessels because of this. Uh, so there's many important parts to this that we need to know about scurvy also. Uh, it's caused by a vitamin C deficiency and vitamin C is necessary for the synthesis of collagen. Now, <laughs> collagen itself is something that, It actually is one of the main structural proteins in the body. It covers. It it takes somewhere between twenty-five and thirty-five percent of the protein in the body, and so this is very important. And you have people now that are now starting to take um, collagen supplements and eat Mm. things. You're talking. You're hearing about people that are using bone meal now, bone soup, and things like that. So more and more people are recognizing the need for certainly protein and why not take your protein in the form of a a collagen, which is so important to the connective tissue of the body. So certainly the, the point for me is to recognize that the connective tissue is an important part of the body that we need to protect and nurture. And this, of course, is done with exercise and proper nutrition, uh, making support for the tissues. And it also becomes important in when we see people now that hear, oh, you know, they'll listen to this show and say, oh, collagen is very important. I'm going to go out and get a collagen supplement, you know, and start taking collagen. (laughs) The pill. (laughs) A pill. The simple There you go. And that may be something that is very important. A lot of people are taking collagen right now. uh, But again, it's very important that when you start thinking about foods that will protect your uh, connective tissue, that you work with a nutritionist, do your own studies, uh, become very knowledgeable in this, and work with a doctor on this to make sure that as you're protecting your connective tissue, then you will be doing it in a manner that will be appropriate. So when people are taking medications to have a certain level of something in their body, it's very important to make sure that if you're doing it on your own or with someone, that you actually get testing to make sure that you're in the right range. Because as we see with almost everything, uh, a certain amount of something is good, not enough of it is bad, and too much of it is also bad. Mm -hmm. So... That's the connective tissue. Any thoughts on that?
0: Um, Now, the connective tissue, uh, Glenn, does that also, uh, some of the illnesses connected to that, would it be like fibromyalgia, um, MS?
1: Well, MS, uh, partly. Or is that
0: immune? Because I hear that's also part of the immune system.
1: They are. They're all connected. They're all connected. Each of these have different areas, and the connective tissue is certainly part of it. One of the parts of connective tissue, for example, is if you injure a ligament, they don't have much of a blood supply, and that's Mm -hmm. why it takes longer to heal. Mm -hmm. But uh, But yes, connective tissue is everywhere. It's been implicated in diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, Number of things almost everything probably will have a connective tissue component. So, the re so one of the reasons that we're talking about this, um, is to be more aware of it, just like we're starting to try and be more aware of, of things that are bad for our heart and the things that are bad for our liver and everything else. So, I want people to in the future start thinking about the connective tissue, mm. but. Here's the cool part. (laughs) (laughs) I was saving this a little bit. There are studies now, there are researchers and scientists, and especially in the anti aging um, aspect of medicine. That's become a whole uh, field unto itself anti aging. Uh, We interviewed Dr. Frieden Reed um, Mm -hmm. many months ago. She's into anti aging, many, and prevention, of course. But the anti-aging community is looking at many things uh, to help with uh, prolonging life and keeping people healthy. So this group of researchers and scientists are using uh, a lowly little roundworm, and they're testing. They have found on the genome, there are a couple of genes that are... Important in the expression of the production of collagen. And what they've found in these roundworms is when they use either genetic modification or they use nutrition or drugs to affect and enhance these genes so that they express themselves in a much better way, the the roundworms that they're doing that with are living longer and when they take away the genetic component for the collagen these roundworms are having a shorter lifespan mm. so this means that potentially of course as i said it's in the roundworm now you know we have a long way to go before the human but indicators are saying that the those genetic components and the production of healthy collagen and the extracellular matrix may be an important part of aging and longevity.
0: Hmm.
1: So I thought that was a very important thing for us to start looking at and get hence, a heads up on it.
0: It's like keep up the exercise.
1: <laughs> keep up the exercise, keep up the nutrition and, yes, there, may be, good and diet there may be and there may be
0: exercise.
1: Yeah, and there may be things within the nutrition that uh you know you have to be careful, and we're going to talk about that in my health tip in a few minutes, but uh it's very important if you're going to be aware of the connective tissue when you want to start improving your connective tissue, don't just run out and buy something that's that says uh, connective tissue tea <laughs> and, and drink a cup of connective tissue tea uh, look into it, research it, and work with your nutritionist or your doctor and but it's. But I think it's very important. We need to start looking at the connective tissue.
0: You know, it's it's so interesting because that brings me to um, uh, the way I was raised. Where when you do have issues with your tendons and the connective tissue, what the soups that they'll be making is soups made of tendon and muscle. <laughs> you know, right?
1: You know, there's an inherent intuitive way of thinking that primitive people thought this is wrong. So we'll fix it with this same type of thing. And there's, there's value and, and, uh, promise in that. And certainly combining that with, uh, all of the other things we're talking about today, uh, you know, with the nanotechnology and the future of medicine, we're going to be doing a lot to improve the connective tissue. But I think The key here for me is just to have more of an awareness. It's everywhere. It's in the eye. It's in the sinuses. It surrounds uh, all the organs. It protects Mm -hmm. organs from being stretched too much or from concussive forces. Uh, It's fantastic, the connective tissue. The more you get an understanding of it and the collagen itself, the more you'll have an appreciation and want to do more to take care of this.
0: So, it's not that just the collagen in face creams.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's part of it, you know, because the collagen makes up our, uh, the form of our body. If we didn't have this extracellular uh, matrix and the connective tissue, we'd look like a whole different species.
0: <laughs> That'd be interesting. Let's do a little computer uh, animated uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. look to see. Okay. If we did not have collagen in our bodies, this is what we'd look like.
1: Yep. But of course there will be people that will go, Oh, let's inject this and, and inject that and make that. So I think it's well, very that's important.
0: been happening for years now.
1: It's been happening for, for years, years and more of it will happen, but now we need to make a more scientific process to look at it more carefully, have a better understanding and really find the supplements and the foods that will help it and the exercises and the massages that will help the, uh, extracellular matrix Mm -hmm. so you got that now intracellular intravascular extracellular
0: intra extra what else
1: (laughs) well it's just the the intracellular yeah intracellular Mm. and extracellular and within the extracellular is also the intravascular
0: intravascular
1: you know some people even uh there are many scientists that actually talk about blood and lymph as connective tissue Uh, they have cells, they have a ground substance, but it's more of a fluid. They don't really have the fibers. Uh, so they, you know, there are people that talk about blood and lymph as part of the connective tissue system and you could be real scientific and say it is or it isn't, but you know, certainly it's important to take care of your blood and lymph tissue also.
0: <laughs> I'd say, <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely, It's a whole. That's all I can say. It's a whole. We just have to learn to take care of ourselves as a whole.
1: You know, I love that you said that because I'm ready for my health tip.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And my health tip is about the whole person.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. So I've I've made up a little thing here. It almost sounds biblical. Here's my, here's my health tip. Do unto yourself as you would have doctors do unto you. <laughs>
0: uh, well, I kind of sometimes beg to differ.
1: <laughs> well, here's, here, yeah, we could, and we'll discuss that in a minute, but here's, here's the way I'm thinking about it, but we will have that discussion as I finish. So keep in mind you're a <laughs> When I would go on a shift in the emergency department and I would come on my shift and I would be relieving the other doctor in the emergency department would be completely full. The doctor's busy working uh, on a case or something. And so what I will do is I will go to the charge nurse and say, what do we got? And the charge nurse will say to me, We have a gallbladder in one, we have a congestive failure in two, we have a teenager miscarrying in three, we have a a gunshot wound to the chest in four, we have a stroke in five, uh, you know, and it goes on and on and on and on Mm. and on. And for my entire career as a doctor, I've always heard people slash patients complain, I want my doctor to think of me as a whole person, I don't want to be the gallbladder. And certainly, you don't want your orthopedic surgeon operating on your total hip without knowing that you have diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, Mm -hmm. and a few other things. So it's very important that the doctor looks at you as a whole person, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the way you want the doctor to look at you. But do unto yourself as you would have your doctors do unto you. So what happens now is... People are listening to the news or something, and they see something that goes, drink red wine. It's good for your heart. It has resveratrol in it. So everybody starts thinking, well, I I want to have a good heart, so I better start drinking wine. (laughs) But are they thinking about their liver, or are they thinking about a, a possible ulcer? Or are they thinking possibly of diabetes? Maybe the wine isn't good for those things, but yet they're taking it because they're focusing on their heart. They're not doing what they want their doctor to do. They're not looking at themselves as a whole person. You have people that are, uh, diets are a perfect example of that. The triathletes think that they should be carb loading all the time. And then we find out that, Uh, too many carbs are not good for us. We ended up with an obese uh, diabetes type 2 society. Then we went to the uh, muscle builders, the bodybuilders, the weightlifters, the athletes that need strength, so they're taking, they're loading up on proteins because that helps their muscles and strength, but they didn't look at their kidneys and suddenly they have kidney disease. And then now we're into everybody is looking at fats in their diet. Fats are good for you, especially healthy type fats, the omega-3 oils, the, a, a number of things like that, avocado. All of these things are good for you. So again, there are going to be people out there that go, well, if some fat's good for you, then I should take it for a lot of it. And what I feel will probably happen in the future is if we go overboard with the good fat diet we may see people that end up developing liver disease and gallbladder disease and pancreatic diseases. So it's very important that, again, we, we don't just look at something, somebody comes out, here's a supplement for collagen, but it may cause problems in another area. Mm-hmm. So for example, I just, I just saw a study the other day that said, taking regular aspirin or taking aspirin on a regular basis, or NSAIDs—you know, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or
0: Advil—yes,
1: mm-hmm. there's there was a very extensive study, and there have been studies in many places that say taking them on a regular basis has the ability to potentially prevent colon cancer. Now, when you yeah. hear that, that's pretty cool. Wow! You know why not? And they've found out that there's a genetic component in the bowels, in the intestines, that uh, will cause inflammation, which may eventually cause an immune response, which may eventually cause a cancer. So what they think is that these aspirin and NSAIDs are working in that area to prevent that inflammatory process and therefore uh, change the colon cancer and protect you from colon cancer. So that's a really good thing, right? (laughs)
0: <laughs> but, um, you're to say in yes. peanut gallery.
1: <laughs> you're, and very smart of you to, oh, <laughs> to not jump all over I, that. You know, but it, you're learning. Oh, but it, but it is a good thing. I mean, preventing colon cancer could can be terrible. But one of the things <laughs> is that now we know, for example. So now you say, well, I want to prevent colon cancer. I'll start taking aspirin. But then there's another study out. That, that says that taking aspirin on a regular or daily basis has a potential to cause uh, age related, a specific type of age related macular degeneration in the eye. <sighs> so, in other words, by taking an aspirin to prevent your colon cancer, you may, you may be, have visual impairment or blindness. So, I think that's an important thing that you need to think about. Before you start doing the, oh, I'm going to take this to prevent colon cancer. So as part of a process, when you have these things that are uh, promoted by different industries, the pharmaceutical industries, marketing industries, the agricultural industries, everything else where they say this is good for this specific thing, it's very important. Excuse me. It's very important to look at the big picture and treat yourself as a whole person, because then you go, well, what are my chances of having colon cancer? If, if you say, I have no genetic component in my family for colon cancer, I've never had a problem, and I'm pretty healthy, and I've had a colonoscopy, and everything looks good, do I need to take the aspirin? when there's a low possibility that I'll get colon cancer, but I may now become blind. So would you consider taking it at that point? Mm. You would think that you would have to think differently. But then, so then you look at, there's another study out there that just came out out of Loma Linda University in California here. It was a pretty extensive study where they were looking at colon cancer and diets. Mm. And they found that vegetarians uh, had... Less colon cancer than people that ate meat. And they actually, the, the study was done on about 17,000 patients.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. So it was a, it was a very large population study. That's and they even good. broke it down into different types of vegetarians. The actual best uh, type of vegetarian in terms of preventing colon cancer. Uh, or the less likelihood of developing colon cancer were the pesco vegetarians, the one that ate fish but not other meats. Interesting. But they all, yeah, they also looked at you know the ones that the vegans and the one that the ones that had that ate eggs and dairy and, and vegetarian, or the ones that are the mild vegetarians that maybe they eat meat once a week or once every two weeks. Certainly a vegetarian diet is much healthier and much more of a chance to prevent colon cancer versus uh, someone who eats a lot of meat. And they've found uh, some reasons that meat increases the uh, risk for colon cancer, usually through the immune response. So If you had the opportunity, if you were a person, for example, that didn't have colon cancer in your family and you didn't have indications of it, but you still wanted to try and prevent it and you just heard about this aspirin, but you also heard about the vegetarian diet, now you have choices. You've done some research and you say, well, rather than taking aspirin and risking blindness uh, from the age-related macular degeneration, Maybe I'll just go on a pesco vegetarian diet and see what that does for me
0: mm.
1: so that's my health tip. do unto yourself as you would have doctors do unto you. so now let me hear your part on this
0: well well you know i I love the ending of course of of the options that we all have mm-hmm. um, and as far as uh, do unto yourself what doctors will do unto you, i, I
1: what you want doctors to do,
0: (laughs) which is, you know, to, to, yes, of course I I would love my doctor to look after me as a whole. Um, uh, and the, the issue that I have, which is, you know, I have seen people put on aspirin for prevention. I have, and you know, for, for many years, you know, especially people who are elderly and uh, put on other things that, that it's prevention there's there's no sign of it anywhere but we're right. just going to prevent this and it's like really now what is that really going to do to your body you know there, there are other ways to prevent which i as you very well know the holistic way which is what let's change the diet let's change the lifestyle let's get more rest let's do some exercise right um and if those don't work and then you get the inkling and whatever it might be you know then sort of work with whatever that imbalance might be, as opposed to, um, I I prefer the holistic uh, prevention.
1: <laughs> as Absolutely. To but, but it's also important uh, to look at the big picture again. Treat yourself as a whole person. If If everyone in your family had heart disease, you have three siblings all younger than you that died of heart disease. So there's a genetic component. And you have the genome that says that in the genome, you have the genes that are expressing the possibility of heart disease, then you want to look at all these things and add them. And the risk factor of taking the aspirin and worrying about the blindness is not as important because not everyone Mm -hmm. gets the blindness. It's just, you know, maybe 10% of the people might get that. But it's still, the big picture is when you hear these things, treat yourself on the whole. Look at everything. Don't just because red wine is good for your heart mean that you should have lots of red wine. You have to look
0: That's a great excuse.
1: (laughs) Yeah, aspirin and red wine. What a combination.
0: I know. (laughs) Oh my. Yes, I, I I I do agree. I think I I do believe that if if the individual is really interested in that holistic looking at themselves as a whole. And I, I, I do believe that that is another level of awareness to, you know, that, that, that we're building here with the Magical Medical Tour is, is so that people empower themselves that they do have choices. And, um, and if your doctor doesn't look at you as a whole, you've got to change doctors. Great point. <laughs> right.
1: Great point. You have
0: and, a right to do that.
1: Right. Uh, that's a very good point. So that's uh, that's a little bit of a glimpse of the future of health and medicine inside the doctor's bag.
0: Ooh, inside the doctor woman bag. <laughs> yeah,
1: there you go. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Christina. I'm grateful to you and Segovia and Yoga Hub for allowing this platform of uh, knowledge and learning for all of our viewers and listeners. I want to thank all of my teachers and healers to allow me on my journey Looking forward to getting together on another tour of magical medicine as we search through the galaxy, exploring. And until that time, I wish you all optimal health. Thanks, Christina.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Wolman. Another great show as we look into the future of our medicine. And of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where I encourage you to learn about his metaphor square breath and of course we would love your feedback Um, whether you're watching it online or listening to our podcast it would be wonderful if you could like us or pass our link on to others that you feel will benefit from our shows give us a call give us some feedback i would love to hear from you at 818 let's talk 818 let's talk until next time namaste some parents who hold on to their child and they just wish that they could like walk into a vet clinic and take the shot like we would give you know an animal. And well well let me just say that there are doctors who assist their patients in this way um, under the table and mm-hmm. um, you know against the law um, but out of compassion, um, and of course, no one's going to come forward because if they did, they would be guilty of assisting a suicide or whatever the yes. uh, uh, a homicide. So, um, but we do know that this happens. Mm-hmm.